Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. It's the only training application with well over 5,000 training videos. Every, every video is 100% follow along and it covers everything. Coaches love it because they can create teams, the kids compete on the re- leaderboard, and they can see that the players are doing it. Players love the video format because the average video is five minutes. And we introduce one move at a time. They get better without becoming overwhelmed. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we do. You can join for free. Definitely need your support. Now let's get on to the show. So this is a midweek teaser. It's going to be a bit of random thoughts that tie into some of the things that I have been talking about over the last year. And I'm doing this midweek teaser because I'm specifically going to send it to a coach who is a social media buddy of mine. I want to convert him to a real friend of mine. And I want to send it to him and get his thoughts. So some of what I'm going to say is 100% repeat because he will have not listened to, you know, my last 10 diatribes and I don't even recommend he does. And then some of it is going to be me talking very specifically about his comments. And I thought, you know what, he's taking the time to really write this stuff out and I don't want to go back and forth on chat. You can lose in tone. I really want to respect what he's written, but I do want to throw out some of my, some of the things I've been talking about and then get his opinion, okay? So let me give you the impetus impetus of what happened. So I shared a video of my younger son doing a particular move um, using the back of his foot to escape a tight pressure situation. And he's he, I shared two videos of that in that regard, even though he does this quite often now that we've been practicing it. And in one of the videos, the point I was trying to make, I don't know if it, I don't know if it worked, is, you know, oftentimes you can do things in an unimposed setting that, especially around the area of ball manipulation, that don't appear to be game realistic in the way that people think about it. But I see it, and the other parent trainers in the trenches see it, that the kids use that stuff, that skill in the game, in these tiny moments that you don't even, a lot of times you don't notice. And so, and so it's in that context that we talk about the broader context of skill acquisition. And I've made a lot of arguments based on YouTube and Google. So take with, take it with a grain of salt on the process of skill acquisition all the way up to habit formation. And for the benefit of people who haven't listened to any of those shows, I've effectively said skill acquisition at its core is just training the brain. And training the brain is just a general general term of improving the nervous system through the brain, the reactions in the brain, the tissues um, surrounding those nerves to improve muscle fibers. That that whole process is called is generally referred to as uh, muscle memory. It's not that your muscles remember anything. It's just that the nervous system now has, has become more efficient because you've done that. You've practiced that movement so much. And not only does the brain temporarily improve 
your uh, muscle memory in this case. But if you do it enough, it will structurally, especially when you're young, it will structurally change to make this process even more efficient. And then I go on to make another weird argument that says, and improving that muscle memory, I don't necessarily prioritize one methodology over another. So in other words, going in the backyard, kicking the ball against the wall a hundred times is just as important to me as uh, having a is practicing a great first touch in a free play environment, or combining ten different movements uh, and doing something is just as important to me as stripping it down to one movement. And so, therefore, uh, so yeah, so that so I don't I don't I don't I don't rank those experiences in that way. And that's very important for our parent trainers because oftentimes our parent trainers are on this impossible quest to create optimal training drills. And I don't think that's necessary. I think that's a fool's errand. So then it becomes, well, what is the priority? To me, the priority is to create a diversity, diversity of experiences for your child. With the understanding that 97% of the time, your child is not gonna be in that team environment. So because 97% of the time or more, they're not going to be in that team environment, I have um, narrowed my focus on those areas that my, that I do control, right? And that is this, those, those individual technical skills that they can then apply in these um, game and team environments when they're there. And then I put them in an environment that challenges them in, uh, in ways that I cannot. And what do I mean by challenges them in ways that I cannot? Well, um, that's a fancy way of saying, I don't know if that's fancy or this is fancy. I put them in, in environments, a tapestry of environments where, um, it, where they have to apply these skills and apply this knowledge in a game realistic scenario. And I don't try to recreate this stuff when it's just me and the kid in the backyard. On a practical level, I don't try to do that because you'll drive your kid crazy trying to get them to see things that's twirling around in your head, but the environmental conditions are not there. But in addition to that, even if I were going to try to recreate these things, I find it very difficult to, to do this, almost impossible to create game realistic scenarios without a number of factors being in place. And those factors that need to be in place are extremely hard to, to recreate if you don't have the right environment, a number of kids, a certain a degree of intensity, reverence, all this kind of stuff. This may sound abstract, but this has been a blessing for me and my children because now we're not stressed out. I'm not trying to get them to see something that they can't possibly see. And I'm upset with them because they're not given the same level of intensity that they would give in a game environment. And this is one of the biggest issues I see with parents who work with their kids uh, is that they constantly try to exact a certain behavior from their child that they would be expecting in a game situation. And this is a fool's end. But you should do this if you believe that these methodologies are superior to, say, kicking a ball against the wall a hundred times. I don't. I don't recommend you, you, you take that view. I think you take the view of let me look at the environment and let me work on specific things um, that are conducive to the environment that I have. And then let me put them in an environment to work on other things that are that I'm in a disadvantage of recreating. And together, these things will um, form a holistic, uh, 
holistic development environment from a child. This is what I tend to do. This is what I strongly recommend. What are some other frameworks of learning that I um, I've been thinking about and thinking about how do how do we how do we talk about this? How do we how do we have this conversation, right? So there's another framework of learning that goes in that effectively says, you know, you should there are categories that players should be in: beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Right. So so you know, a beginner should be doing this thing, and an advanced person should be doing this. And there there's obviously some logic to that, right? This is this is obvious, and it's obviously also obvious that you have to group people into categories based on something. This is not because the human brain just can't conceptualize it without that. Age is another grouping. Uh, experience level is another grouping. Number of years of playing is another grouping. All these things are grouping. Gender, these are groupings, right? And they're they're normally des designed so that the brain doesn't have to exert so much energy trying to figure out uh, where you belong every single time. But the problem is from a long-term development perspective, and this is again my opinion, take it for what it's worth, I got my PhD on Google, these groupings don't fit so neatly and nicely when you're working with um, to develop a holistic player. In other words, I don't prioritize or, or value something that people perceive to be advanced over something that people perceive to be basic. A lot of people who see my older son consider him to be what they would consider to be technically advanced. But he does a session with his younger brother and they do the exact same things. The expectation for my older son when he's doing that stuff is higher than the expectation I would have for my younger son because he's older and he's been doing it longer. But I don't have some notion that, oh, I need to do this other thing because now I'm all, he's, no, no, no. Master the fundamentals. That's what training is for. Mastery of the fundamentals. Yes, there's a degree of diminishing returns in anything you do, but I just haven't seen an NBA player like, you know what? I've shot enough free throws. I'm good. I've done enough threes. I think I got it now. I haven't seen a soccer player like, you know, professional, like, yep, I've done enough free kicks. I don't. So I guess there is a diminishing return at some point. But uh, I don't think your child is there. I know mine is not there. And if your child is there, send me a video so I can see, because I like to share this stuff with my son so they can get perspective on what where they should try to be at. And then the next thing is there seems to be a priority over what I'm going to call multivariant environments. No, no, not priority. That's not the right word. Um, there seems to be a preference or a higher ranking of what I'm going to call multivariant environments versus single or a smaller number variant environments. So if you can, if you consider the child to be advanced, which people prioritize, right? Oh, you're advanced. You should be doing this. Then I'm going to, I can do, I can have you do this thing with a couple of variables one or two variables, or I can have you do these things with multiple variables. And if I were to show this to the average person, they would say, okay, I think this this one, this thing with 
multivariables is more challenging, more gain realistic, so therefore it's better. And I'm making the argument, and I'm the only one that makes this argument, so take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to make the argument that they both need to work in concert. There are moments that I look for with my children that are so specific in the kids I train that are so specific, and so instant, that if I added a lot of variables, I would miss what I'm trying to do. And then there are moments where I need a lot of chaos. I don't do this anymore because I'm I don't coach their teams. I do coach teams, but I don't I don't do this as much. Where I need a lot of chaos in order to see what it is I'm trying to I'm trying to accomplish. And I want the player to accomplish. But I'm not a qualified coach in that regard. So I, I would I would punt that one to my coaches to share some of the details on what that might look like. So now that I've given all that lecture and that context, um, now let me read some of the comments. So remember, I posted and I tagged my buddy, hey, you know, my son doing this obscure thing with, with the beh uh, behind his foot to, uh, to get out of a tight space. And then I said, hey, these are the small moments. This is a small moment, but I believe that the work in the backyard makes this easier and more natural for the player. And that's really that's what I believe. That's fundamentally what I believe. And so then let me read a little bit of what my uh, coaching buddy said. He said, love it. Thank you for being nice, by the way. I hope you're listening to this. When we, when would, now I'm reading what he's wrote, written. So it, and my eyes are bad. So take it for, so I might fumble a little bit. When we would teach kids and then in parentheses, really anything. I love that because I do think the learning process is kind of transferable. Um, I do take issue when people try to make soccer something that is not or learning something that is not. I think it's pretty transferable. We would always be cognitive of the, and he's going to put in, in, in all caps, the pressure context of that lesson. We use a scale of one to 10, typically against cones is level one, isolated is level three or four, Scrimmages works in is scrimmage work is to seven and matches matches are typically six, eight, and nine. So let me let me um, let me discuss that for example. So I've often said in a developmental context, I actually don't think organized games are particularly important to the drivers that are important in games that are that are important in development. And so you might say, Neil, didn't you just say that? Um, you don't really prioritize? No, I know. I mean, if you go and play a game, it's fine. But it's just the the math. The math is just not in your favor, right? It's not about, yeah, if you could play games 97% of the time, if you show me a world where you were to organize games were 97% of the time and the energy level could be exerted at that, at that level, then I would say games are more important because that's the time. I think time is more important. And there, and a person only has a has a does not have an infinite amount of energy. So therefore, and then what happens in those organized games? I don't I don't think they are conducive to the repetitions and all this other stuff that the training environment allots for. And even though I don't, I'm not a coach in this regard, I do know a good coach can create the environment 
to constantly replicate those game moments over and over and over and over that you just can't do in an organizing environment. So I would be very hesitant to say a game or anything dealing with a game is an eight versus dribbling around some cones is a one. I think they all have their place. So then the next thing is, and this is one of the things I want to ask him, and the show has gone a little longer than I, I wanted to, so I hope he's able to listen to it all. You often hear, you know, dribbling around cones to be something that is of less value than, say, playing 1v1, for example. And I think part of that is because um, I don't think that people uh, use some of the measurements, at least some of the measurements that I use, right? And I don't think they view um, some of the variables that I use. I talked about this in a, a longer show. When I use cones, what I'm doing, and this is me again, I'm creating a consistent, I'm, I'm controlling for, uh, for one of the important variables, and that's distance, right? So if you ever want to uncover, so, 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 so it's best to think about it like you are seeing a system and you want to understand that system. And that system has a lot of variables. So what do you do to truly understand it? You start controlling for certain variables to really understand how understand that system. So when I see my sons in a complex environment, right, or I see children in a complex environment, there are a lot of variables there. There's the variable like how intense is a defender. There's variables like does you know how much space is on their strong foot versus their weak foot. If they got a lot of space on their strong foot, they should be going towards their strong foot. I may not see the bias there. There, there are loads of it. There are variables like how good is their teammate. There's zillion variables. You, you know this. And so players um, have a way of overcompensating for things that they have issues with. And this is rightly so. And this is what makes people special. Right. So, but if I want to really understand my child's, um, understand my child or children I train, I really want to understand uh, um, maybe say some of their functional movement, if they have issues with some functional movement, if they have issues with their touch, if they have issues with their control or their ability to manipulate the ball. If I really want to understand that, then I have to start stripping away variables. Right. So if I really want to understand the, um, you know, the quality of my son's touch while they're dribbling, well, the first variable I have to strip away is the distance. I, I need to control for the distance. It needs to be the same because I need to be able to measure that over time. But 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 remember, we're, we're in this particular case, we're looking at the quality of the touch. So not only do I have to have the same distance, but now I have to also control for the time. Right. So now we have the same distance, we have the same time. This is not rocket science. You know, if you want to see if someone runs faster, you have the same hundred meters and you have a stopwatch and you can see. But soccer has that touch and that touch is also very important. So now in order to, um, so now I need them to travel a, a certain distance, right? But I also need to know if they are using the optimal amount of touches for their body size. So that's another area thing I need to add. And in order for me to know if they're using an optimum, optimum amount of touches, they have to touch the ball with every single step. Because if I don't allow, if I don't have this control in place, then they can overcompensate by the weight of their touch. So now let's recap. We know the time is the same. We know the distance is the same. And we know 
the amount we know the um, that the player has to touch the ball at every step. This is the measurement unit. This is the unit of measurement I'm going to use. And then because I I'm looking and training these my sons and then other kids all the time, I know how many touches they should be able to take in a given um, setup. So let's just say for the purposes of this, if they're doing a figure eight drill with the cones are two feet apart, I know, and I say to them, you know what, the, the goal of this is for you to be able to get back to the start in a figure eight pattern in 10 touches. So two touches to get across the cone, three to get around the cone, two to get back, and then three to get there. I know this. So now the question becomes, how fast can you maneuver that? And touch the ball at every step. Because that's the unit of measurement. So how many times can you get around? That's the unit of measurement. But at the same time, um, there is the distance travel, right? So you may be, be able to accomplish this, but you're not hitting the ball enough. So it's the distance travel that also speaks into the, that also gets into the quality of the touch. Now, I don't know if this fits in easily into a level one versus level 10, but I know that um, I know roughly where 2013, if you're listening to this, you can try it at home. I know a 2013 it, it should get around anywhere from be able to, to get to each cone between 14 and 17 times. We're using either foot. 14, 17 times. So if you think about it, they start at one cone, they get to the other cone, that's one point. Then they get back to where they started, that's two. They should be able to get the 17 times, six, I'm sorry, between 14 and 17 times at 30 seconds. And let me go, I'm gonna, I'm going to skip a part and then come back to, to something, then go back to the statement. So he says, just because I can execute a skill or concept at level three, which is isolated, it's like sort of doing it isolated, does not mean I can execute ex uh, execute it at level four. It's a great differential tool for coaches and also related to why so many coaches get frustrated that they can do it in practice, but not a game. And so I, I did a podcast where I say, I understand this in theory. This is totally logical but I don't recall seeing a kid who, who can get around and I'm using this example again uh, the figure eight touching the ball with every step in 30 seconds 14 to 17 times who then struggles with their control because you have to have control because in order to do that you got to really be able to control the ball who then struggles with their control in game situations relative to kids who cannot do this. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And I know my coaches listening say, I know kids, I know loads of kids who um, can do all these ball master drills, but they can't do it in the game. I can only say to my parent trainers, because I can't have this this argument with folks, I never see it. I never see it. This is a unicorn. The kids who can do this unopposed stuff um, with ease 
tend to be the ones who excel in these game environments with some significant caveats. Number one is once they reach puberty, it is a sport and there's just no way around being faster, more aggressive, stronger. It is what it is. It's a sport. So the element of technical mastery can only take a person so far. Another major caveat is all that stuff we talked about, like the, you know, the, you know how I talked about the 97% is we're with the coach. Well, there is that 3% that you're not, that you are with the team. They, you're going to struggle if they go years and years without getting that right. And that looks like peer learning, high intensity environment, which we talked about, an environment that has the proper factors that that produce good habits, good decision making. So that's another caveat. By the time they reach puberty, they can have all the technical mastery in the world. But if they can't make decisions, they're not aggressive, they're just physically undersized, just not fast enough. Yes, yes, you can run into issues. But again, we're getting into the unicorn. Uh, no, so not with puberty, we're not getting into the unicorn. So that's a fancy way, that, that does happen. That's a fancy way, a long, long way of saying there are limits to, to the human, what the human body, what your body can do. You know, no matter how much I train, I can't be an Olympic, I probably could not have been an Olympic sprinter, for example. It, there's just limits, right? But you start getting into even 15, 15 and below, uh, that's why I'm putting, bringing the coach on. Show me the kid who is dominating technical mastery and is getting into the games and clueless. And they got great coaching. Mm, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it that much. Okay. Uh, so just let me, for the purposes of this podcast and to be fair to the coach, let me read his statement in entirety because I want to bring him onto the show, hopefully. And then I want to get anybody who's willing to come on the show and have this conversation, get their opinion. Because I know that what I am saying is not what people believe. So you're not going to hurt my feelings by coming on the show and saying, Neil, you're a moron. You're exactly why um, uh, you're the, you're exactly why these YouTube dads and YouTube moms are the problem, right? So I'm you can't hurt my feelings. I love this stuff. So let, let me read uh, let me read this comment uh, specific uh, in, in its t- entirety to do it justice. And if you're listening to this and you want to ask a nuance, then please come on to the show or or set the record straight. So here we go. Love it. When we would teach kids really anything, we would always be cognitive of the pressure context and pressure context is in all caps of that lesson. We use a scale of one to 10, typically against cones is level one, isolated is level three or four. Scrimmages works in a way, works, scrimmage work is way I think he has a typo. Scrimmage works is way to seven. Matches are typically six to eight to nine. If a derby or similar perceived pressure, developmentally, I can only induce nine to 10. A derby, I can't always wait around for, but executing technique or decision inside the first 18 
or the last 18 can do it. Just because I can execute a skill or concept at a level three does not mean I can execute it at a level four. It's a great differential tool for coaches and also related to why so many coaches get frustrated that they can do it in a in do it in practice, but not a game. On the other hand, if they can do it at a level nine, doing it at a level seven is a subset of already present uh, present skills. These moments also build trust between player and coach if the dialogue does not change and erodes if it does. Don't yell the don't yell to the clear, don't yell to clear and rob them, don't yell to clear. So he's saying don't don't yell to clear the ball and rob them of the opportunity. When it fails, the advice can't be don't do it again, avoid training or clear it next time, tactical decision, which comes later. Right now, find the ceiling, help the players start with with their move quicker or with a different starting orientation, a better fake component, et cetera, and try again. Big difference between developmental football and first team football. So I read the comment and I butchered it and he's chatting on Facebook. So, uh, you know, our grammar police, which we have some, believe it or not, please give us a um, please give us a pass on this. And so in summary, I have basically said, hey, skill acquisition is training the brain and you can train the brain in a multitude of ways. And I don't prioritize either way over the other. And I don't really buy into the diminishing return um, logic, which is logic, but not at these not a no maybe when you get high degree of professional but mm, your kid ain't that good you, you can go out they're going to benefit by spending the next hundred days kicking the ball against the wall a hundred times so, so that's that and and i don't prioritize i don't have a scale of the scrimmage the scrimmage environment for example is more um developmentally uh, appropriate for any group more than say individual isolated work right I think you can, I think all of them are important. And I also, and this is where I have a huge divide with coaches. I, I don't necessarily, if the kids need, if I feel that they need something, say isolated moment work, like dribbling through cones and that kind of stuff, I don't necessarily say, well, because the scrimmage environment is more important, we're going to focus on that because I don't, I don't prioritize it in that way. I do, I am a practical person, right? So I do know that if I'm coaching a group of kids, there's things I need to do with that group that you can't replicate at home, which we talked about. But I, I'm not doing that because I think this is more important, right? I'm doing it because I, it's just practical, right? And the kids enjoy it, obviously. So therefore, it would be very unusual for me to say, I, I, don't, I don't believe this. Oh, it's, it's great for them to dribble around cones when they're beginners. That's like a level one. But when they become more advanced, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I, I don't believe this because there are things that I'm looking for. It, um, regardless of what I, uh, what the modality is um, that the player can improve upon or get better at, because again, we're training the brain. So they, that leads to the conclusion of, so these, these general frameworks, while you need them, these general groupings, I just say, while you need them just, out of common sense reasons, I'm very hesitant not to read too much into any one thing. And so therefore, as it relates to cones, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, I don't I don't do cone drills for this and this. Um, I think I would be more inclined to say, well, how do you, you know, what methodology do you use to control for all the variables except touch? 
What methodology do you use to control for all the variables except speed? What methodology do you use to use to control for all the variables except endurance? And, and so how do we, so what do you use to do that? I happen to use cones in a lot of cases because I can control for the, um, the distance. I know the distance. But you can, there are a lot of ways. There are a lot of things you can control. You can control for endurance, right? You can do certain fitness tests where the distance doesn't change, but, and the time really doesn't change, but how the person's body is reacting changes. So um, you're just controlling for variables. And I think, I can't think of a situation where it's not beneficial to have, to introduce training methodologies that control for certain variables so you can isolate and improve that one particular thing that you're working on. It could be touch, it could be control, it could be manipulation, it could be endurance, it could be speed. You're trying to isolate that one individual component. Um, and finally, hey, everything works. So this is just abstract, you know, theoretical uh, ramblings that I'm doing as food for thought so our coaches, so we can engage our coaches to have these conversations. But I can't emphasize enough that in my experience from what I have seen, go outside, chase your child around, um, race your child, play goalie against your child, play striker against your child if your child's a goalie, defend your child, play 1v1 against your child, uh, push your child, pull your child, I mean, everything works, right? So free play, like everything works. So this is just theoretical. And I think sometimes we as parents become demobilized because we are being told that there's all this complexity around this subject. And there he is in some respects, but in some respects, just get out and play with your child. They're going to get better and they're going to enjoy it. And if you can, if they and if they want to be in one of these competitive environments, introduce uh, some deliberate practice into the mix at a level that works for them. And that's where anytime soccer training comes in, because you can introduce five minutes of deliberate practice and it will help them get better. All right, guys, this is Neil Crawford. Um, let's get better together. <laughs>